Welcome to the Parish the Thought Show. The opinions of Brian, your host, and his guests have not been sanitized or scientifically tested. So please, consume at your own risk. Now, here's Brian. Ladies and gentlemen, and whoever else is listening, welcome back to the show. My guest today is Utah real estate broker Justin Hutchins. We talk about the Utah housing market and how it's not as dark as it may seem if a buyer or seller has a highly trained and caring expert in their corner, guiding them through the labyrinth that is the current real estate market. Not only is he an amazing and professional guide, but also a genuine friend in the process. All right, Justin, welcome. Welcome to the show. I have Justin Hutchins, the broker extraordinaire. <laughs> Welcome, sir. Thanks Thank for having me. On. I'm excited. Tell us a little bit about you, your your background, real estate, why you got in. Uh, you told me the story once. Uh, you, you were a coach and a volleyball coach, and yeah, you didn't want to rely have your future dependent on immature teenage girls. Screwing up something or, like that, right? Or boys. <laughs> or, wait, you just coached. I thought you coached just. So I went, I spent one year with the guys at BYU. Um, the other years as a college coach was all on the women's side. Um, so it was different and nothing against them, right? But when you have your livelihood based on the decisions and execution of basically teenagers for the most part, <laughs> that's not a whole ton of job security. And then you add that sports component and your win-loss record and all that stuff. People, <clears throat> you're kind of an, under a microscope with a lot of things that are out of your control. I felt like so. And who wants that? Right. No so, one. So become an entrepreneur and be self-employed. That's way better. Weird. <laughs> right. <laughs> it is way better. It is actually. Because it's up to you. Yeah. No one decides what you're worth except you. Right. And the, and the work you put in and the knowledge you gain can be a direct correlation to your success. I would say not can, but is, is. for sure. <laughs> yeah, it's definitely Yeah. without, you know, you, you, you wake up, you go out and kill something, drag it home and eat it. Yeah. Is hunter gatherer. And... So why you got into real estate? How long ago? So coming up on 10 years, um, I'd always had, um, I moved around a lot. Maybe that's why I had growing up. Um, an interest in real estate. While I was coaching at BYU, um, we bought a townhome in Pleasant Grove and I became really good friends with the agent that was sitting in the model and he always used to tell me, hey, if coaching ever doesn't work out, come into real estate, you'd be awesome, blah, da, 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 da. And so I was in California coaching on the women's side at Fresno State and called him up. Um, we'd had a couple of kids by that time and um, we were moving around every couple of years. I was gone all the time and um, knew that we wanted to kind of settle back in Utah. So I called him up and said, hey, is that offer still on the table for you to mentor me if I switch into real estate? And he's like, yeah, absolutely. So came back and uh, the first job I could get really quickly right away was with Les Olson Company, the copier sellers. And so... Got into that right away and then um, started real estate school. I was only there for less than six months and then um, 
signed on with a real estate marketing firm out of Springville called Circle Picks. And that was great because while I was getting my real estate license, I was kind of immersed into the real estate world. Um, the job there was in sales, but we would go um, for a week out of every month, we'd travel to one of our territories and meet with brokers face to face and explain marketing and, and um, try and sell this automated marketing platform. Is that what Circle Picks was? That's what Circle Picks oh, was. Okay. So it wasn't just photography. That's how they started out. But then it was kind of this, <clears throat> they call it a virtual assistant program that would post on social media um, and kind of do the marketing for you so you could have a um, a baseline for all your agents in a brokerage. So if a brokerage signed on, they would have a whole thing turned on. And so we met with different brands um, from independents to big box. And so a lot of good knowledge that way and, and a good insight into marketing. Like I didn't know anything about um, SEO or anything like that and being able to, to articulate that Google owns YouTube. So if you have a YouTube video, you're going to get pushed on their platform. And if you have this content with blog blogs and things like that, that gave me a lot of good insight so that at least when I got my license, I had some kind of foundation as far as marketing and real estate and, and knowing those things, um, especially from a listing standpoint. So it was good. It was a good transition move. And I was there less than a year, like I said, and hit my stuff and walked away with about three months worth of savings in the bank and yeah. So that was a scary thing that one next morning, <laughs> basically being unemployed <laughs> on purpose, <laughs> on purpose by design. But yeah, it was, it was a real gut check and it was good. Um, I never looked back. It's kind of the burn the boats mentality. Like yeah. I have to make this work. Yeah. I will make this work. Yep. I'm going to support my family and this is the, this is the decision. Um, I'd, I don't think my wife would tolerate another career change. <laughs> so as scary as that was, um, yeah, it was like, like you said, burn the boat, um, step out of the boat onto the water. If you're, you know, familiar with biblical references and, and, uh, just go. Security. I've learned, well, this is a blanket statement, so I'm sure it's true for some and not for others, but security is like air for women. If, if, if they're like a stay at home mom or something, mm -hmm. security is air. And I know for many years I struggled to be full, you know, employed enough. I was always employed, but employed enough. And you can choke your wife without actually touching her. Hmm. Wow. And, and wow. I, <laughs> that's, and my wife was choking and I was the cause mm. in her eyes. And that was tough. Yeah. And it's. I'll bet. That's, you know, that's my job. Yeah. And you're just Try grinding, putting your head down, trying to. Still s s sucking at it. And <laughs> so, yeah. So, yeah, I got into this world five years ago, a little over five and. Yeah. Never looking back. So, so Love you it. went, you that's went, awesome. you became an agent yep. for someone else. You were a lowly agent for another broker. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, so I'm grateful, um, for my, um, they're all still active realtors now here. You in can name them. We can, um, we can so drop yeah, names. Shout outs. Um, so Dave Maltby, who's now with um, Sotheby's, is my friend that um, that said, hey, I'll mentor you. Um, Paul Teasdale, who's the principal broker at Team Teasdale Realty, he'd been with Remax for, I think, 25 years or something like that. And that's who Dave was with at the time, um, was with Paul. 
And um, Paul was great because when I first met with him, uh, it was almost a tough love scenario. Like, I don't think you're going to be good. He actually told me, I think you're too nice. <laughs> he didn't know me to his, to, in all fairness. Um, and kind of said, you know, you're Dave's headache until <laughs> you hit like 20 transactions or something like that. And I appreciated that because at the, at the same time, he didn't know how competitive I was having been a former athlete and coach and, you know, fine, I'll show you kind of thing. Um, but Dave is the one that took me, you know, step by step. Um, cause as you're well aware, you can finish real estate school and hopefully you know enough to not get sued. Um, that's barely. about it. <laughs> I couldn't pass that test today. It's crazy. Yeah. So no I went way. back and took my broker's exam a few years later and, and luckily the context helped me a ton, but yeah, you had to go back and go, Oh yeah, this is something that we have to know, even though we don't practice this daily. And that was where Dave came in as he said, okay, here's what you're going to do today. Here's who you're going to call. This is what you're going to say. And I remember getting on, you know, even in the middle of a transaction going, okay, they said this, what do I say? All right. Da, 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 da. Okay. They said this back. Now what do I do? <laughs> it's a lot of that. Cause you don't know. Cause what you say is in their minds sometimes gospel. Yes. Cause you're the professional. Yep. And that's, that's with our clients and with other agents as we're dealing. There's so many things and I've, I've often described what we do as um, a lot of people are familiar, you know, thanks to reality TV about and business shows about being a project manager. And so I feel like in a lot of ways we're that hub where we're, we're kind of taking the helm of making sure that that title and escrow work is being done and done correctly. And we've got the lender and mortgage people on the other hand, and we've got, um, the home inspection and we've got the appraisal and we've got, you know, all these moving parts where I feel like we're kind of the hub, the other agent, the seller, the, you know, where we're representing the buyer or seller. And so having the ability to manage all of that, um, in an efficient way, putting out fires. And sometimes we, sometimes we share the fires we put out. Sometimes we don't, um, and kind of buffer our clients from those things. And so it's, it's a lot of, it's fun work, um, in the sense that it keeps you on your toes and you feel like you can accomplish something that you're contributing something. So, and you're a therapist. And <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I can't tell you how many times I've had couples. I'll be showing them homes and they just start arguing right in front of me <laughs> as if I'm not there because it's, I'm a neutral party. Right. And I, I used to say jokingly that, well, just for, you know, fair, therapy is an upgrade with, <laughs> you know, with this purchase. Yeah. So yeah. If you yeah. want that, I'll throw that in, or, you know, it's, it's, it's an upgrade, but <laughs> we'll, we'll do that for you. <laughs> I love that. And yeah, dealing with, I've dealt with a lot of sellers that are in the process of divorce. Um, you know, a lot of people move because of these big events in life. And so as rewarding as it is to be a part of that, whether it's a, you know, a job change where they've got a promotion and now they need to buy and, and stuff like that, or they're moving because they're having more kids. There's also that side where it's, there's something tragic where there was a death in the family or a divorce or a job loss and things like that. So it's, um, yeah, that therapy component and, and being able to manage all those moving parts while having the emotional, probably one of the most emotional 
things that you can do is buying or selling a home next to major life events. So. Well, yeah, and you, you <clears throat> I just had this vision of us holding the hand of a child through a dark tunnel. <laughs> yeah, they rely on it you may, a lot. It may be a happy time, but it's still a dark tunnel in terms of like not knowing what's going on or yep. what's coming. Or what I forget as a, as a new home agent, new construction, I forget sometimes that this is not their world. This is right. my world, and all these phrases and things I say are just like breathing to me, but I, they have, need a translator for all right. the things that I'm saying. Yeah. We, a lot of times in the business call them transactions. And I, <clears throat> I shudder to use that phrase because I don't want it to be transactional. And I know you treat your um, friends and clients that way is it's not just another transaction. It's, it's a relationship. It's a process. It's, um, you know, those kinds of things versus just another thing that I'm doing. Another order I'm taking. So let's talk about this crazy market. Everything's <laughs> upside down. It's madness and no one's ever seen rates like this. At least none of us new agents. You yeah. even I would consider new. Yeah. Uh yeah, depending on when you got in the market. Let's simplify or try to try to help people understand or Sure. I I'm trying to think where I'm even going with this, but <laughs> It's scary and it can people be. feel like they cannot afford anything. And, yeah. and, and even as a builder, we're, we're, we're doing a lot of apartments now because kids are having to move back with their parents and, yep. you know, renting part of the basements. Right. Cause it's madness here. Multifamily. Maybe it's not madness. Maybe that's the wrong word. It's just different. Different is good. Um, I think it's important to, first of all, validate anybody's feelings about what's going on in the market right now. Um, it with interest rates high, it does cost more. Your buying power has been depleted by half, by half or more in many cases, and that's hard, especially with you know politics aside. Just things cost more. Gas costs more. Food costs more. And so, if you're looking at a difference of you know a few hundred dollars just because of the interest rate per month that you're spending, that's hard. And it can be a lot to a lot to take in. Um, if you're if you're on the selling side, let's validate that. You know, um, it was just a couple of years ago that if you had four walls and a roof, in any condition, you've got people literally fighting and clawing to buy your home, and you could almost name your price. It was like, well, the bidding starts at dot dot dot, and it was easy. Um, Do you remember that? It was a video going around of the guy trying to sell an apple. Do you yes, remember that one? I do. I'll, yeah. I'll have to post a link to that one because that yeah. was hilarious. It's about, that family, the Holderness family. I, yeah. I know what I got here. I get sample. <laughs> yeah. nope. mm-hmm. Or the Johnson Files or something. Yeah. 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 I'll, I'll post that in, yeah. the, uh, in the show notes. <laughs> I know what I got here. Madness. Yeah. That's an apple. I know. <laughs> it was. It was crazy. And it, so I will be the first to say... And this can be controversial. I won't be, I'm not the first to say, but it's controversial. Two and 3% interest rates should never have happened. I'll say it. I don't think that was healthy. That market that we had even a couple years ago, while it was good in a lot of ways, was, was not healthy. Um, because I dealt with first time buyers who could afford the monthly payments, but couldn't win a bidding war because you had competition that was 
paying $50,000 above list price in cash, waiving appraisals, waiving inspections. We can close tomorrow. They would, there were people that had an, a rich uncle or a rich dad that would come in and pay cash and then finance it after the fact just to win. And so <clears throat> experiencing that side as well as the listing side where you got 20 offers and it wasn't always the highest offer that was the best. You had to really look at terms and you know figure out what was going to be best for you guys with timing and things like that. And so from a marketing standpoint, agents didn't have to be super skilled. You just had to whisper that you were thinking about listing your house and you'd have 10 offers. Um, from a buyer standpoint, I still think you weren't as skilled because it was like, well, what does the seller want here? There wasn't any real back and forth. There wasn't any real negotiation. And so, and then that lack of health um, and skill in terms of the market just wasn't sustainable. And we found that out and now we see that. So that created this thing. So you asked, what's this crazy market like? And put it simply, I think the two and 3% rates um, created an unhealthy atmosphere. Addiction. Is the um, word I use? Addiction could be, yes. I call so it, like it, was, you're, it was, we were smoking crack for a couple years. It's just hot. It's hot, yeah. yeah. And so it created a fever and the temperature spiked. And if you wanted to put it in terms of equity, um, if you go back to 1960, let me let me go back. And I, I said I'd be simple, but this this is important. If you go back to 1960, when they started tracking mortgages and mortgage rates, and an equity of homes on average, you know, you have occasional dips and spikes, but on average, a home's value increases by about 5% every year. Okay. So now I'll go back to that context. Okay. We've got this hot market. We've got this two and 3% that's causing this, this fever. And so what happens is that first year back in 2020, instead of 5%, value year over year. Now you've got 30%. And then follow that with 2021 at 20% on top of the 30% we just gained. So now in two years, we've gained 50% equity. That's almost unheard of since you've been tracking things. And so if if your normal body temperature is 98 degrees, and then you've got this spike of a fever up about well above 100, what do you do? If you keep at that pace, it's not sustainable. It's you're it's something's going to die, right? <laughs> so you're going to crash. So a lot of people talk about this crash. And what's happened is with now, as of today, I think we're close to 8% on interest rates. What the Fed's trying to do <clears throat> is to bring that fever down. And... A lot of people think, if especially like myself, if you lived through 2006 and seven, and you th- see this market crash where now you can't sell homes for what they're worth or you can't make payments on what you had mortgaged, um, I don't think we're seeing that. I think we're just returning back to homeostasis. Normal. So we spiked. Yeah, that's normal. It feels like a crash because we had that spike and now we're doing this downward trajectory, but the, it's not like we were at 5% and now we're at negative 10. We went up 50%. And even if we go down a whole 50% or 45, cause we're going that 5% year over year, 
that's normal. So it's just educating people that, hey, this, because our perspective is narrow. Yep. We have short term. And I've only been in five years. Mm -hmm. And it was a struggle for me when I first got into to do well. But then, yes, those last few years was madness. You couldn't keep them fast enough. Yeah. Especially and, working for a builder. And I, <clears throat> people probably say, well, you probably loved that time. And I'm like, well, I did because I did very well. But I also hated it because I hated having to be the one to tell a buyer, oh, sorry, you lost out. You you offered 100000 over and you lost out because someone did 105 over. Right. I, I hated that because right. I, I want the buyer to have some leverage. I don't want, you know, the builder to have to give away the store. Mm-hmm. But I want the buyer to be able to say, hey, can I ask for this? And it, it's uh, I actually enjoy it now because, I'm like, hey, see what? They're willing to look at anything reasonable. Right. So let's see what we can do for you. And then I, I almost feel like I'm helping them more rather than, yeah. hey, sucks to be you. Take it or leave it. Right. I, I hated that. That's where that reference to skill came in, where if you're working with a buyer or seller and you 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 couldn't really coach them. You couldn't really say, okay, here's the art of, of negotiation yeah, no and time. stuff like that. You it's, thought about it and it was gone. And Right. Oh, you can't sleep on it. Sleep on it after you get it under contract and your yes. earnest money's gone. <laughs> we'll sign the bill and then we'll read what's in it. You know, exactly. Like, like, like Congress did. Exactly. So I like balance. Balance is always better. And although it feels painful right now, I do see that pressure of interest rates um, lowering prices on homes as it should be. There's no way I don't think that a starter home, a condo, a town home, at least here for the time being should be half a million bucks or more. That's rough. Super rough for is a lot of people. Half a million. And I know this is probably a terrible comparison, but 500,000, a couple, you know, 10 years ago was, that was the house on the hill. Yeah. With the view of the valley, you'd made yep. it. Yep. And now it's, it was townhomes a year and a half ago. And yep. those have come down, but. We've still. come down to some threes and, and some fours, which is still, now that's not to say that the value is not there because Utah is a beautiful place and people want to be here. And we've seen that. And there's, there was a huge influx of migration from other states and, and the secret's out so to speak. And so, yeah, when you have a beautiful place with a lot of job opportunity, we've got Silicon slopes. And if you're an outdoor enthusiast, this is like Disneyland. Heavy. Yeah. Um, so people have, have come to realize that. And especially with that component of working remotely, all kinds of opportunities. And so, yeah, when you have the value, then the prices are going to reflect that as well. So are things a hundred, 150 anymore? No. You know, I don't think there's anything that you can pick up for that much anymore. Um, but it doesn't have to be so accelerated where, like I said, it's a half million bucks for a two bedroom condo, you know, or a piece of dirt. Yeah. Yeah. Or the land itself. <laughs> exactly. There's some lots over Which here in this rough. neighborhood that are four twenty starting out for yep. half an acre. Just the dirt. Just dirt. Yeah. Man, it must taste sweet. <laughs> yeah, I'd be panning for gold or something. <laughs> so, well, yeah. I always tell people, again, I'm not, uh, let's say, expert. I've been in five years with a builder, so I have a different perspective. But you do what's right for your family mm -hmm. at the time. 
regardless. Yep. Yes, you can look back, you can second guess yourself all day long, but at the time, you made the decision that was right for your family at the time, regardless of what the rate right. and the market was. It yep. was right for your family, and that's I still hold to that. Amen. I don't know if that's gospel or <laughs> it seems to. That's what I would do. Well, anyone that cares about people is is going to believe that I'm and, never gonna and share that. Force you know, make them feel pressured into something that they're going to be cursing my name for later. And, hey, right. Damn it. <laughs> Real estate agent screwed me, yeah, made to talk me buy me into, this house, yeah. <laughs> made me sign all 150 pages of those documents. <laughs> For sure. And people think I'm crazy when I talk them out of selling, you know, or out of buying. Um, but it's it's the trust and the relationships that matter. And Well, you're the kind of salesperson that, that that's, I think, the decent salespeople are still having to downplay the negatives of sales. Yeah. I didn't want to do sales for the longest time because I thought I had to be that guy. Yeah. You know, the schmarmy. We've all had an experience <laughs> with someone like that who just was interested in the transaction only. The mm-hmm. car salesman, unfortunately, that's a stereotype, but yep. it's real. Yeah. And I'm like, I don't want any part of that world. A lot of realtors are lumped into that same stereotype. Yeah. yeah. Oh, I've had <clears throat> this old guy was... I was just talking to him, just getting to know him. And he's, ah, oh, you're just saying whatever you have to to make a sale. <laughs> and I was really put off by that. That's really that's not when yeah. it's not your thing. It's offensive almost. Am, but yeah. it's, that, that's his. That's his perspective. I was sure. just another schmarmy dude trying to sell him something he didn't need. And and that's a lot due to the fact not to go on a tangent, but that well, this the barrier of entry. This show is all about tangents. <laughs> there you go, the tangent podcast. Um, the barrier of entry to becoming an agent is pretty low. I'll just, I, I just well, no, passing that, that test. Right. Let's, we can talk about that for a minute because I think <laughs> the testing, my, this is my theory. I have not a whole lot to back it up other than the real estate test and when I was an EMT, the test I had to take. Okay. The written test was a joke. Hmm. For becoming a realtor or an EMT? I thought both. Okay. I'll give it my EMT description. Okay. Is the test was... So vague, and every question could have been, all the answers could have been right. Choose the most right answer. And I really struggled with that test. Took it, I think, three times mm-hmm. just to get it passed. But the practical application where I had to go into a room and assess a patient in 10 minutes, aced it. Because that nice. was the connection, the human connection of what I learned. Yep. The test part, to me, doesn't prove anything other than you can regurgitate crap on a test. Yeah. Because, I'd again, I if I had to take the test today, the anxiety I would have would kill me. <laughs> could I pass it? I don't know. I honestly don't know if I could pass it because the way they write them. And I feel right. like someone's screwing with me <laughs> just to get my 50 bucks every time it, to take the test or whatever it costs now. Right. Is Am I crazy? No. Okay. Because even the test reviews aren't even, in a lot of the schools right now, are are not comprehension based or retention based it's it's exactly that it's coaching on how to take a multiple choice test you're going to see four choices and two are pretty good and you got to pick the best one that was what was shocking to me about the review is it wasn't okay let's go look at this math section and let's go look at this you know uh water and and water rights and anything like that it was literally this is what a multiple chest choice test looks like. And this is your best chance. This is your strategy to take this test. 
not about <laughs> so, do you know the content can we no, talk through exactly. this yeah, that drives me yeah, crazy and i think right. that's wrong yeah on so many levels and but when you're when you're teaching to the lowest common denominator and you're you're i mean it's here's another tangent public school is set up very similarly right and 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 well, you're, you get, you're messing with the sacred cow now. Right. <laughs> but if your livelihood as a real estate school is to get people to pass the exam and so that they kind of tout your things, yeah, that's exactly what you're gonna do. You're gonna you're gonna teach that lowest common denominator. Whether you understand it, whether it's practical or anything like that is beside the point, is did you get seventy percent or more? <laughs> and seventy percent. That's I mean, yeah, that bar is low. <laughs> Again, it tells you that it's not about. We assume because we pass that we got a hundred, but they don't actually give you your actual score, which unless is no, you get below dumb, seventy. <laughs> that's another dumb thing. It tell, is. Me, tell me what I, I want to know. Yeah, so I'm just assuming we yeah. both got a hundred. So oh, yeah. congratulations! <laughs> hey, you know, I do what I can. Right. <laughs> and when so, I go take that broker test, I'll there you go. I'll get ninety-seven. <laughs> okay. Just yeah, sandbag a little. Yeah. <laughs> I'll, I'll keep it. I'll keep the you know the levels down for you. So Appreciate the schlubs that can get in. So I got ninety five. You know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, but yeah. So if you have that, like you said, there's that stereotype, and because that barrier of entry is so low, people probably have had experiences with agents that are all about the sale, and they get into real estate thinking it's easy and you know, whatever their circumstances, they need that. And so they're going to push you and stuff like that versus the actual like, um, approach of I'm, I'm here to be a service to you. I'm here to be a sounding board. I'm here to educate and mentor and help you through these steps of the process. Like you said, going through this dark tunnel, I'm going to enlighten you as much as you can because at the end of the day it's our clients that make the decisions but they've got to make educated ones and so if we're not educating ourselves like the question at hand was how's the market i don't know what kind of strategy to take and how to coach them um, before we got on air we talked a little bit about my volleyball coaching background and and i often compare it to prepping to play an opponent we would take stats and, and find out tendencies and I'm not necessarily a numbers guy either. Um, <clears throat> but if I could use that information to make better decisions as a coach and then also to, to you know, strategy wise, game plan wise, but also to, to tell my players, Hey, watch out for this, prepare so yourself for this. Yes then that contributes to that success. You know, it gets us in a better position to get to the desired outcome. And so the same is true with real estate. So if you're looking at at numbers of <clears throat> like how many homes are on the market, how quickly are they selling, what price points and breaking down. So if I have a listing that's over a million dollars, um, there may be a different strategy for selling that home versus a home that's 350 or 400, um, just based on how quickly things are selling. Um, so for example, in a balanced market, as we've been talking about, you're going to have five to six months worth of inventory. Meaning if you take the rate at which homes are selling per month and you look at the current number of homes listed and, divide the 
you know, the months, the homes sold per month for the last, let's say, two or three months. That'll give you a rate, an absorption rate um, is what it's called. And that'll tell you how many months of inventory you've got. And so in a seller's market, you've got less inventory. You've got two to three months worth of inventory um, because they're selling quickly. There's not a lot to choose from. And so they can kind of, they're controlling the market. In a buyer's market, um, which is what happened in probably the last true buyer's market was back in 2007 and eight, where you had all this inventory. I remember living in Pleasant Grove and a lot of Eagle Mountain and Saratoga Springs had just been built out. And there was, <clears throat> um, there were homes that were listed that said, we'll throw in a cruise, we'll throw in a big screen TV, we'll throw in a what car. Children. Right, <laughs> exactly. That's, that's an extreme buyer's market because what happened, you had a ton of inventory to choose from. So why should I pick your house versus the neighbor's house, you know, and all this stuff? Cause there were 10 homes for sale in that one neighborhood. What's the incentive? And then we saw the other opposite just a couple of years ago with the seller's market. Oh, I'll pay you 50 grand above list price and I'll give you the TV and you the cruise, the buyers throwing this stuff in, um, oh, you're free tacos. I saw a bunch of people doing it at the time, I'll right? I'll watch your kids for you. So yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, I remember, you know, yeah, sending crumble cookies when the agent told me that they knew they were going to be meeting at five o'clock to discuss offers. And I'm like, okay, here we go. So just these crazy things. And so those patterns determine your tactics, your approach and knowing whether it's a buyer or seller's market and not just in general. So national news is just that it's national real estate is highly local. So even here in Utah, you've got Salt Lake County, you've got Utah County. There's a difference even in those two, even though they're very similar, then you go down to Washington County, St. George, that's a whole different market. And so when you're looking at statistics, when you're looking at what the market is, even finding within Utah County, Provo, Lehigh, Pleasant Grove is going to be different than Spanish Fork, Springville, Elk Ridge, where we're broadcasting our international, international <laughs> studio studios Elk Ridge, from Utah. Elk Ridge, Utah right. right now. So it's different. And, and you've got to know, you have to have an expert that knows the difference and can navigate those and develop a strategy to quote unquote win, whether you're buying or selling. And so knowing those numbers, knowing that price point. So going back to months, you know, months worth of inventory. So right now, just as of today, before I came over in general, in Utah County, we have 4.8 months worth of inventory. So five months, pretty balanced. I would say it's, it's, I guess the needle would be a little toward a seller's market because it's not quite six months, but in general, you've got a pretty balanced market, which means there's some give and take on both sides, right? And if you have a listing that's in a good location, it's in a good, it's in good condition. Um, you've got views, you've got, you know, these other things, those are still going to sell quickly. Um, but if you're, if you're a buyer and you've got, you know, a home that's been sitting on the market for a little bit and it's maybe a little in disrepair, um, or, uh, it's not the best area, you've got some leverage, right? You can ask for repairs. You can ask for the seller to um, do what are called concessions. So basically it's in the form of closing costs, but you can apply that to 
loan origination fees, title fees, things like that, that otherwise wouldn't go toward your down payment or anything like that. Or you can apply it towards a rate buy down. So yeah, like today we're close to 8%, give or take, you know, whatever disclaimer insert here <laughs> um, as far as quoting rates. But um, if you can use some of the seller's equity to buy down your interest rate as a buyer, either temporarily or permanently, then that helps the seller get out from under the house, you know, so to speak, as far as selling it. It, it makes it more marketable, but it gives you as the buyer a little bit of a leverage to either ease into payments or um, be able to use some more cash from your pocket to make it the way you want. Um, so if you break that down even further, and so I ran more numbers. So homes that are a million dollars plus in Utah County, we have 8.5 months of worth of inventory. So by definition, that's a buyer's market. So for if, that, for range. that price point, isn't that so interesting? It's time to step it up. Right. So yeah, if you're, if you're in the million dollar plus range, you now have competition. That's what that means is that the inventory means there's more homes for sale in that price point. So I've got to be better than the other one, either priced better or have a better condition, better location, better features, those kinds of things. Um, 800,000 and above is 7.2 months worth of inventory. So you're still kind of in that range where it's still kind of a buyer's market. And so they can come in and offer probably less, um, you know, get some concessions, things like that. If you go down below 400,000, now we're at three months worth of inventory. So that's still a seller's market, a pretty hot one. It's not, when we were going in crazy, it, we, we were down to between a month and two months worth of inventory. You just couldn't see homes, you know, get to them fast enough. Three months is still pretty red hot for anything under 400,000. And the ones, especially, like I said, that are priced well, that have all the amenities, that have the good location, the desirable things, those are going to go, and you may get into a bidding war again. You may get into a multiple offer situation. Oh, we still we have <laughs> multiple offers in the 700, 800 range. We're having that. Not, right, not consistent, but right. periodically we're getting... Three, Wait, four cause offers you're, just the other day. You're brand new. New. A lot of good locations with the builder you're working with. A lot of good amenities and, and features and things like that that, that you've got. That uh, people can now, that's desirable. And, and yeah, they may not, if you look just in the past couple of years, maybe your buying power isn't as much. But my guess would be that the prices for those same things are a little bit lower than they've been in the last couple of years. Mm-hmm. And so <clears throat> that principle, if you're paying off over time or if you're a cash buyer, now you're buying something at, a, at an even lower price. There's a lot to be said for that. So there's some deals to be had. Um, you know, as a buyer, a lot of builders too, and I think yours is doing that as well, um, is offering just right out of the gate incentives to buy down interest rates or, you know, go toward closing costs and things like that. So a lot of new construction is is kind of leading the way because they have that ability to do so where maybe a seller is kind of scrape, you know, of a, of a pre-existing home is kind of narrow margins. They don't have that opportunity. You guys can with the, with the size and, and buying power that you guys have. So 
let's say I'm a seller in this market. Mm -hmm. Talk briefly about some of the first things I need to do. And then we'll, 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 we'll switch it up and ask about if I'm a buyer. Yeah. What do I do? Who, where do I start for yep. someone? Who... Good questions. Um, so seller number one, and this is a secret, but a lot of, and I'm probably going to get railroaded for this from other agents. It almost doesn't matter how much marketing you're going to do if the price isn't right. You know, an agent can come sit across from you and go, I'm going to put it here and here and here, and I'm going to spend this, this, and this. But if the price isn't right, it doesn't matter how many people I tell, they're not going to come buy it if they're, because they're, they're online. Buyers are savvy right now. If you're listing, they can get information so quickly and they'll look at the same homes or similar homes and they'll compare the price right away instantaneously. So priority number one is developing a strategy to price it well. Can I back up a little bit? Yep. Maybe also suggest to sellers, if you hire an agent, you're doing that for a reason. Mm -hmm. Because you, A, don't want to do it yourself, and or B, don't know how to do it yourself. That's a lot. So trust that person. <laughs> I can't tell you how many Amen. <laughs> brokerage tours and board tours I go on and the agents are pleading with all the other agents on the tour, please tell my buyers this, 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 and this, which I've been telling them over and over and over, but for some reason they're, they haven't, the buyer doesn't trust the people that they've hired. The seller. You know, excuse yeah. me, the seller has, yeah. they don't trust. So right. they have to come and bring other agents in there to back up what they're already saying, which right. I find, I don't know if that's a breakdown in communication between the agent and the buyer. But why hire somebody if you're going to micromanage and not trust what they say? <laughs> and I know so that maybe, maybe they hired someone that, that sucks. I don't know. Maybe it's the information age that we're in. Um, and oftentimes people think they know better. Um, different strategies are employed. It sounds counterintuitive, but the strategy of pricing high so that you have room to negotiate is not effective. It's not. If something's worth 750 based on comparables and market data, and you say, let's list at 800, so that if someone comes in and offers low, and I have room to negotiate or something like that, it will sit longer. For some reason, that that old idea of, of well, yeah, I'll just offer lower, for the most part, isn't going to happen, and chances are you're not going to take it. Because they'll come in probably the first week and go, okay, if it's listed at 800, I'll offer 875. Oh, we got an offer so quickly. Well, let's just hold out and see what happens. <laughs> so it's hard. But if you're, if you're, like I said, if you've talked to your agent and they've done some market data and can show you why their recommendation would be 750, then there is a little bit of nuance depending on your timing as a seller. If you've got to sell quickly, so here's a strategy that we used just recently. I had some friends call me. They have a townhome in Orem Vineyard area. And they said, hey, we got to sell like now because we're under contract on another home in St. George. So we took the strategy of, all right, let's look at what else is, up, is for sale in your neighborhood. So townhome, it was nice because 
it's very comparable. It's a real apples to apples kind of a situation. Yes, yours is an end unit. Theirs is a middle unit. Yes, yours has, um, you know, a little bit more square feet theirs than theirs does and stuff like that. What we ended up doing was we priced it a little bit lower than the next comp. So could we have justified a higher price based on what we determined were factors of value, like the end unit, stuff like that? Sure. But because they needed to sell quickly, our strategy was there's your competition. We've got three more. We're going to price it about five grand lower than the lowest one. Had an open house. We didn't have any showings in, or we listed on a Wednesday or Thursday, no showings till the open house on Saturday. Had a ton of people through, ended up getting multiple offers, went 20 grand above list price. But had you listed it higher then, it may have been people like, eh. People go, oh, I'm going to go look at that one instead. And ah, I don't really need an end unit, things like that. So that's an example of strategy depending on the seller's needs. Needs. Yeah. Exactly. Which is different for everybody. Right. So right. there's no blanket strategy really. Right. So that's not going to work all the time and, and maybe the seller's not in a hurry um, and stuff like that. So we, we talk about what the seller's needs are every time um, with that. So... Again, going back to your question of, okay, what do you, what's the most important? You got to nail the pricing first. And like you said, trust, 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 because we both have the same goal. You want to get it sold. I want to get it sold. Everybody wins, right? So trust that pricing and it's okay to ask why. Hey, why, how did you come up with this number? You can go through all that stuff with them. Um, in fact, I explain my process with them. We sit down in front of my laptop and I'll show them step by step. And that's great because we have an understanding. Um, the next thing is, yeah, go through your home as if you're a buyer. Go outside and as cheesy as it sounds, close your eyes, turn around. How does somebody do that? Because I see a lot of people don't, they they, they have their heart and soul into that home. And yeah. they can't imagine why someone wouldn't like the elk head on the, the, seven, <laughs> the seven elk heads in their living room. Well, some people want eight, so, you know, <laughs> um, it's hard. You really do. You kind of have to take the, um, that emotional component out because turn it from a home to a house. Yeah. And, and as the second you list it, it becomes a commodity. The second you're really thinking about listing it, it becomes a commodity. And so facts don't care about your feelings to quote Ben Shapiro. <laughs> exactly. in a, a house. It yeah. They don't. Right. No one cares if you that, love it. That person's going to come through your door. And as much love, as many pencil marks are on the door frame from your kids growing up as that means to you. And I get it. I cried when we, when we moved out of our townhome because that was where we kind of started our family. Um, the buyer it's, is exactly that. It's a commodity. And so looking at it from a fresh perspective and, and closing your eyes, going out to the street, walking in, anything that catches your eye, anything that needs to be repaired, especially now with a, you know, especially depending on the price point, you want to take any of those factors out of it. Who wants to move in? Two years ago, they were fine. Four walls, roof, go. Let's, yeah, I'll fix it up or whatever. Now, I don't want to move in and have projects from the get-go. Um, and, you know, all this stuff. So it's, uh, you have to look at it and, and, and go through with a fine tooth comb and any repairs that you've been putting off. It's funny how often, you know, someone will list their house and go, Oh, I should have done this 10 years ago, or I've been meaning to do this project. And so it's been funny to see over and over again that, you know, 
you do that stuff and it's like, oh yeah, we should do that. But that's going to be more appealing for the buyer. The more turnkey it's going to be, you know, the, the faster it'll sell. All right. Let's say I'm a buyer coming into this market. Yeah. Simple steps or, or first things I should, should do or. Consult with your agent on price point again. So a real um, strong factor in your approach to the market. If you're looking at those million dollar plus homes, you've probably got some more leverage. Let's look at days on market. Let's look at, you know, any information that the seller can give us as far as why it isn't under contract yet or anything like that, um, or the seller's agent. Um, if you're looking at that 400K and under range, know ahead of time that there's not a lot of inventory. Prep and go, yeah, we may have to end up, if something just came on the market yesterday, let's be prepared to offer a little bit above list price or something like that. And so... But there's that balance and hopefully your agent is seasoned enough that they can guide you through because the most asked question I get from buyers is what do you think we should offer? And that's where your knowledge and your skill as an agent come into play that you can educate them on, okay, we're at this price point. Here's how much inventory is out there. This one's been sitting on the market for 30 days. Um, Knowing that if anyone's selling right now, because I think the last number I heard was 60% of homeowners right now have an interest rate of less than 4%. So if they're selling right now, chances are they're selling because they have to. Most people right now that are selling wouldn't walk away from that low interest rate. I'm sitting on like two and a half for right. my house. Exactly. So a lot of us, we like, I started out saying two and three interest rates were bad. Yes. If we took advantage of those, <laughs> we don't want to leave that. We don't feel bad. <laughs> no, <laughs> right? we, just, we refinanced or we bought at that time, and that's great because we can afford our payments. But, but yeah, if someone's selling, chances are, especially going into winter. So a lot of times the hot season is April, May, um, just as school's getting out, summer's coming. Your your flowers are going to bloom. Your grass is green. But now we're getting into October, November, December. Um, which there is a seasonal trend here in Utah, especially where all of a sudden there's a foot of snow on the ground. Your home's probably not going to show as well. Things aren't as pretty and you have to use right. more of your imagination. Yeah. Trees are bare, things like that. And so, um, again, as a buyer, you're going into this season where I think this is a great time to buy if you can find what you're looking for. So a lot of times there isn't as much inventory because sellers just for that reason aren't going to sell. They, they can sell for more probably in the spring when the trees are leafy green and all that stuff. But that's why I'm saying if, they, if they're selling right now, chances are they have to. And so talk with your agent about an approach. Talk with your lender about if you're, if you're financing what an interest rate buy-down looks like, either permanent or temporary. Um, you know, and discuss these kinds of things because you have a lot more leverage right now as a buyer, again, depending on the price point, than you've had in a long time. So I think there's a lot of deals that can be had as a buyer too. And going back to the seller real quick, try not to look at it. If you have to sell right now, try not to look at it as, oh, two years ago I could have gotten this. Look at the real, you know, the big picture of, hey, if I bought this eight years ago, you know, just for an example, you bought a single family home for $250,000 and now it's worth six hundred. dollars Holy moly, congratulations. You, you win. A, you made a crap ton of money. Yeah, that's amazing. Oh, well, two years ago, I could have sold it for eight, maybe. But look, you just made four. That's amazing. 
Yeah, you saying you coulda when you're standing in a pile of shoulda. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. It's hard. And again, not to sound unempathetic, but I, and I get it. But when you're looking at that much, man, that's amazing that in two years you gained 50% where it could have been 10%. And yeah, maybe we dropped another 10%. So now you got 40%, you know, in that time frame and stuff. But it's all relative. And if you're selling, Hopefully you're in a position where you've got a ton of equity and you can turn around and put that towards the next thing or, you know, you're going to go live on a, on a cruise ship for a year or something. Fantastic. Use that and, and go. So I think a balanced market to go back is, is a, a better market for everybody. You know, there's, there's wins to be had in every price point and every market. And it just depends on what your, what your needs are. Let's talk about, those that want to sell by themselves, the FISBOs that are <clears throat> sell by owners. Why the hell would I spend all, why would I give you agent who makes so much, you know, and you know, all the arguments out yep. there that yep. we're overpaid and we just sit around and wake up at noon and cash our checks. And I know you posted something recently about that argument. Yeah. About what, what, what we actually do, all the all the yeah. things you, an agent actually does, if they're a good agent, if they they're a good agent, that's a big if, and and one hundred percent, anybody that's listening to this, that's considering buying or selling, it's okay to vet your agent, ask them about their experience, ask them how many homes they've sold, ask them, you know, what their approach is and stuff like that. That's okay. I, I think it's people think it's taboo. Um, for some reason to ask an agent how many homes they've sold or how long they've been in business and stuff like that. And, and are you good at your job if I'm yeah, hiring you? Yeah. Oh my gosh. Reviews. Look at their reviews. Um, I've got a ton of reviews online, which I'm so, so grateful for of people that have worked with me and what better way to find out you know, if somebody's good. Just, I, I agree with that. However, <clears throat> can people trust reviews anymore? Cause sometimes reviews are staged and, or, or they pay people to give reviews and, how do you? That's a good point. It's hard to trust. Anything I actually didn't anymore. consider that because I, or Bob S from Utah says <laughs> Justin is amazing. Well, who the hell is Bob S? Yeah, look for detail, I guess, in the reviews. Um, uh, yeah, there, I guess there's no way really to to come through that. My my approach is when I've when I've closed with somebody um, on a home, whether they're buying or selling, I just send them a link. Hey, sure loved working with you guys. If you wouldn't mind sharing your experience here, I'd totally appreciate it. And that's the end. Yeah. If you wouldn't mind sharing your five-star. Give me a five-star. Yeah. I I always leave it open-ended because I really, truly want some feedback. And I I remember getting a four-star from from somebody that I helped sell their house. And they they even put in the thing, like, we just don't give five stars to anybody. And I'm like, oh, like, what can I do to get that? Like, it was almost this personal thing, but... Um, nobody's perfect, so we just give four stars. And I'm like, come on. Uh, and we <laughs> so, assume that five stars is perfect, but... It's not. It's it's hopefully better. I think one of the things you can <clears throat> ask is like, hey, out of... I used to ask when I had a graphic design business years ago, on a scale of one to 10, how was the experience? Mm. And if it's not a 10, tell me why. Yeah. Because if you just say well, on a scale, well, you're a 10, what does that mean? Right. So why am give I me 10? something... I can't learn from 10 because it doesn't say anything. Right. I, I ask people, I'm like, look, if you, ha- if you've had a great experience and I don't want, if you haven't, then don't do this. But if you have, 
then give me a, a review. I don't care yeah. what number of stars you use, but if, if you've had only if you've had a good experience, if, if you haven't, then, then this conversation's over. Right. But yeah, that's, uh, that's a big, a big deal. And yeah, I guess you don't know, but if, if they've sold enough homes, if they've been, you know, and, and even new agent, so it's tough for new agents. Cause I remember even as a new agent, what, what do I do? I haven't sold anything. I haven't, um, leverage your team, leverage your broker, leverage your, um, experience that way. I, you know, I appreciated the people that gave me a chance and I worked my tail off and knowing that combined, you know, the team that I had access to between my mentor and my broker had, you know, a hundred years of real estate experience. Yeah. And, and that is exactly who I leveraged because I, I, like I said, I would go to my mentor and go, Hey, they said this, what do I do? Okay. Yeah. Oh, so it's not necessarily me, but I'm, if I'm willing to work and put in the effort and tell you when I don't know something, but I'll find out, give that agent a chance if you can trust them. You're the face of that experience, regardless if it's you that came up. Yeah. I always tell people, yeah, there's people around you that have It's an open book exam. Yeah. Yeah. And so... Um, going back to the for sale by owner. So Utah is pretty unique to some other states. And a lot of people don't know this is cause they'll get on third party, um, sites like rhymes with pillow, um, and look at their, uh, are you afraid to say the word? <laughs> I don't know if they're listening. <laughs> I'm sure. Big they're, I'm sure they're one of my 12 yeah. fans. <laughs> um, and they'll look in their estimate and they'll go, okay, well there's my, or my neighbor sold for this. That can be dangerous. Oh, and county records is my favorite. Holy moly, you guys. Okay, so. Favorite, like for reals or favorite Like joking? quote unquote joking favorite, okay. right? So my the county record said that my home value is this. Please, 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 public service announcement. Do not list your home for what the county record says it's going to value because most of the time, and we want this for most of us, your tax value, your taxable valuation should be lower than the actual valuation because- taxes. Um, <laughs> but in Utah, we are what is known as a non-disclosure state, meaning that we can't give our sold data, actual sold data to third-party sites. Yes, including the county. So when you see something that's sold on Utah County Records or Salt Lake or anything that says um, $10, that means someone paid cash for that house. It could have been a $2 million house. And if they moved from California and said, here's here's my $2 million, I'll take my other $2 million and put it in the bank because I sold my trailer. Um, <laughs> yeah, for four. It shows on county records that that sold for $10. And then the other uh, valuations they have is only the amount financed because that's a record from the lender. It doesn't take into consideration how much money was put down. What the actual value of the right. Home was. So if I bought a home for four fifty, but I put a hundred thousand down on county records with the abstract, it's going to show three fifty. Those third party sites that rhyme with pillow take their information from county records. <laughs> Brian's laughing. You should see him <laughs> from county records, and that's what they get their estimates from. So you can see how that would be skewed all over the place on actual data, and your valuation. So you may be pricing way, way, way above what it's actually worth and you're going to sit and you're going to have the hardest time selling it or you're going to price it way, way below what it's actually worth and you're going to leave tons of money on the table but you quote unquote saved money by not using an agent. That's the that's the thing. And then dealing with um, showings, knowing how to negotiate uh, repairs, 
knowing how to deal, like I said, as a project manager with title companies, with other agents, with the with the buyer, you know, themselves, um, making sure that people aren't uh, stealing, getting your home prepped um, to sell, all those things you let the professional do, and there's all kinds of data that says that homes that are sold with the help of an agent sell for more than if you were to try to do it on your own. And so it's a liability thing. Um, it's, you know, from a legal standpoint, you almost have a buffer with protection once you have that agency. Um, but my fiduciary responsibility is to you as your agent. I am to act in your best interest, not mine. And then help you see that process through every step of the way. Good stuff. Thanks. What haven't I asked you about this illustrious career (laughs) that you want to share with people? The buyer, the seller, other agents, other brokers, people that work for that place that rhymes with pillow. (laughs) You liked that one, didn't you? That was funny. (laughs) Oh, man. Um, Providing a service to help people achieve their dreams with their most often their most valuable asset is so rewarding and so difficult at the same time. Um, the relationships that you build are pretty unique because in some ways, even though, even if something goes pretty smoothly, you've kind of gone through the trenches together and you develop those relationships. So it's, it's a lot like, I think for me, for playing sports, I think that that dynamic was so unique because you're in this high intensity situation that's different than just passing in the halls in church or, you know, in the aisles at at the grocery store. That relationship becomes more solid and, and more lasting. And that's what I, that's what I appreciate. That's what I thrive on and being able to work with friends and family that I've already had relationship with. That's my whole business. I don't know a lot of people, uh, or a lot of people may not know this, but I don't pay for leads. I don't cold call. I don't knock doors. 100% of my business has been word of mouth, word of mouth relationships with people that, you know, and that means more to me than anything that people would trust me to help in such a thing. Um, multiple times. It's been awesome reconnecting with friends. I just, you know, helped a friend that I hadn't seen since I was a junior in high school, literally in in person. And that's amazing. That's awesome to be able to do that and have them trust me and just reach out to me on social media and say, Hey, we want to, we want to move to Utah and want to help us buy a house. Absolutely. And to be able to reconnect and so it's hard work, like you said, for, you know, what haven't I asked with other agents? You've got to, you've got to do the work. It's not for the pain of heart. Everything is hard. Yeah. So pick your heart. Pick I know that I like, that. I, that's a cliche statement now, but it's true. It's true. Pick your heart. Working for someone else, slaving away for someone else's dream, <clears throat> 40 hours a week, 50 hours a week. That's hard too. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You pick your heart and you can't always pick, pick the, the situation and stuff. And yeah, there's things that can can blow up and, and things that fall through and, and you know, you're, you're standing in line in Disneyland with your family and you've got to take a call and, and 
work during that, but then there's the freedom that I can be at Disneyland. Yeah. <laughs> First world problems, I know. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> I was traveling in so... England and then, gosh darn that seven hour time difference. I have to do some work. <laughs> yeah, exactly. The job working for someone else. Great. 40 story. hours a week doesn't allow that. that. Yeah. So yeah, the freedom. I've, that's what I found is the freedom to succeed or fail is up to me and just the yep. freedom to access my family. Yeah. And do the things and go places and not have to get permission from some boss. Right. If I want to go spend time with family, that's messed up. <laughs> and that's there's fine. Some there's some people there's that pe- can do it. There are people who, if that's what they, I'm, I have no objection. To there's something to be that, said that, that to be able to walk out of a door too and not have to think about. Yeah. Your leave your work at work. You leave. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, you know, yeah. And there's just, that's the beauty of. Where we live is we can choose. Mic drop. End of story. <laughs> Thank you, man. Appreciate it. Pre- appreciate you coming on. This has been awesome. fun. Appreciate you. Thank you again for listening to the Parish the Thought Show. We know you have many podcast options and appreciate that you have chosen us. If you love what you hear, please give us a rating on whatever platform you find us. And don't forget to share, like, and subscribe. If you hate what you hear, only tell us. You're still here? Click on the next episode for more from The Parish the Thought Show.